We continue the shear in Nevi. This is the first shear of this new season, the new semester. First shear after the long vacation we've had during the summer. And I recall that the last shear we had before the summer, we stated that we are stopping at a special point in history of Nevi where the division of the 12 tribes of Israel took place. The separation between the 10 tribes and two tribes. We did not go into the details then, and today's topic will try to take it up as much as possible, especially the events that led up to it. This is one of the saddest points in Jewish history, and this too implies that there's nothing more destructive for anyone, especially for the Jewish people, than disunity. Because this is what eventually led to the destruction of the Holy Temple and the exile of the Jews during the first temple and then eventually the second one, and why we are still in exile to this day. And of course, this too answers the question, not just why the temple was destroyed, why the Beis Amikdash became hard then, but why don't we have the Beis Amikdash rebuilt today? Why don't we have Mashiach come to us after not only so many prayers have been poured out to Hashem, so much effort has been put into this on the part of tzaddikim, who gave of themselves entirely, tefillah, tears, who dedicated their lives to the effort of bringing Mashiach, but also the many millions of Jews, millions of martyrs, who died for the sake of their amunah, Emunah in Hashem, and which brings about the greatest Kiddush Hashem. They died on Kiddush Hashem. Nothing can bring Mashiach closer than an act of Kiddush Hashem. We had so many millions of tzaddikim die horrible deaths for the sake of Kiddush Hashem. Why, with all those sacrifices, have we not experienced the actual coming of Mashiach? The answer is that the same force that destroyed the base of Mikdash is still a Dayim Merakid Beninu, is still prevalent amongst us and is depriving us of the rebuilding of the base of Mikdash or the coming of Moshiach. That is the disunity, the lack of harmony, the lack of goodwill, the lack of, of oneness among the Jews. This is why we could state after the months spent in Yisrael, uh, hoping to bring back a report from there that would be a good one, a happy one. And of course, it is forbidden to bring back a bad report from Yisrael. It was the Miraglim, spies that went to Israel, came back with a bad report about the land, which caused the deaths of all the Jews over 20 in the desert, and which eventually, too, caused Tishabov. That was the night of Tishabov when they came back with this bad report. All the Jews cried when they heard this bad report about Israel, and Hashem said, because you cried for nothing, I'm going to give you something to really cry about. On the same day, same historic date, Tishabov, the ninth day above, when both the first and the second base of English were destroyed. Now, this was due to a bad report. It is forbidden for a Jew ever to speak against Eretz Yisrael, regardless, to speak Lashon Hara. 
to speak Lashon Hara, which means to speak the truth, because Lashon Hara means slander, something bad, which is true. Uh, therefore, we cannot say anything wrong, about that it's so, because there is nothing wrong to say about it. That it is is sacred, it is holy, that it is is pure, it is Admas Kedesh, every single pebble, every grain of dust in Eretz Yisrael is worth more, definitely, worth more than all the real estate in the rest of the world combined. We would never take all of the, the wealthy, oil-filled countries, or any type of fertile ground, or any of the garbage dumps of Russia, exchange for one single drop of soil of Eretz Yisrael. So that's the land itself, Karka, the ground of Eretz Yisrael, which is Admas Kedesh, sacred, holy in itself. Even the people living in Eretz Yisrael are also considered holy. We cannot see anything wrong with them. We cannot find fault with them. We see nothing wrong with any Zionist, as some people criticize. We see nothing wrong with those in Eretz Yisrael who fight for their country, who show a love for it. Even if they may not be, we don't say they aren't. They might not be that religious, so-called non-religious Zionists. We see nothing wrong with them because we are not the ones that are permitted to judge them. We also cannot condemn or criticize or speak against the Naturi Karta, the opposite of the Zionists, the non-Zionists, the violent and non-violent type, because they are all Jews. We're not supposed to speak a word against any of them. But... We do say, we dislike using that word but because it sort of puts a damper on everything said before. You're forced to say though that obviously there is something lacking among all this vast sea of goodness in Eretz Yisrael. And that which is lacking, which means that which would improve conditions so much more, is that Ahavo, the Achva Vereus. If there was more of this unity, more of this compassion one for the other, more of this willingness to live together in harmony, to see eye to eye on every issue without attacking one another, and surely, without doubt, Eretz Yisrael would become rebuilt entirely. We'd be zechut to see the coming of Mashiach, the rebuilding of the Beis Hamikdash. Because the Gemara says that, of course, if we had Achdus, the entire world among all Jews. Naturally, that would be a place of Mashiach. The Lord says that Hashem does not expect too much from us. He does not expect the seemingly impossible. He asks for that which is logical and probable. And that is that let at least one community have perfect achdus amongst themselves. Let them set the example for the rest of the Jews. Hashem promises in turn to send Mashiach. He will perfect the rest of them. Let's see one group, one even one sect of Hasidim. Let there be unity at least among all the notary characters. Unity among all the semi-religious Zionists. Unity among all the Misnagdim. Unity among all or any sect of Hasidim. Even in individual groups there are different opinions. That's what's holding back. That's what's depriving us of the ultimate goal. This is what we sadly bring from the land of pure Kedusha, land of perfection, that lacks this one ingredient, this drop of Achtus, which would complete it to a point where we could be sure 
our world becoming united there physically too. We can just have that bit of achdus, and the moral of all this is that we must believe when the Gemara says Hashem wants one community only, one is sufficient to have achdus among themselves, we must believe implicitly that this means regardless of the size. So for example, if we could have perfect unity just among ourselves, let us set the example for the rest of the Jews. That would be sufficient to serve as a chain reaction. You would have others join in, and eventually this would bring the Geula too. This is proven by the fact that the Arizal, of course, that was a very select group, as small as it was, Arizal lived 400 years ago, who was the father of Kabbalah and Tzfas. The city of Tzfas had a small group of students. He assured them, he gave them the guarantee that if they could display true achdus amongst themselves, just among this group itself, not for outsiders, and he guaranteed them that Mashiach would come. And as small a group as it was, he gave them one final test. He said to them that we have one last test to pass, and that is we must go from Tzfas to Yerushalayim, there to greet Mashiach. And we've got to keep this unity amongst ourselves perfectly solid until we get there. And that is, as is written, they failed this test. A slight dispute, a controversy arose amongst some of the students. When we got to a certain topic, the item itself makes no difference what it was. The point was that, that they did not fulfill this request, this order of their Rebbe, the Arizal. He told them that they had lost the opportunity of bringing Moshiach to the Jews. So that's why we are supposed to say, as we learn in the Gemara, each person is supposed to say, I am one organism. I am one individual. I am the same as Adam Harishon. Hashem created the whole world because of one man. So one person, one man or one woman. One man and one woman. This proves that each person is a whole world. When Adam Harishon was alive with Chava, they were the whole world. The world means humans. So each person should say, I am an entire world. It is up to me to perfect this world. So if we could perfect within ourselves this union of true harmony, that we would be the ones that guide them, bring about the Geula. Remember that the Gemara says the direct cause of the Chorban Beis HaMikdash, direct cause of the Golas, of the long Golas, not the first Chorban, which lasted only 70 years. The Chorban and the Golas that lasted so far approximately close to 2,000 years was due to one fault. One shortcoming in the part of the Jews, and that was sinaschinam. Sinaschinam means an unreasonable dislike among the Jews themselves. That was what caused the Churban Beisamikdash, that's what caused the Golas. That same fault, that same shortcoming, caused the deaths of 24,000 students of the Akiva. Exactly the same thing, and it is that same item which we still suffer because of. Today, if Mashiach does not, did not come today, it's because there is still sinas chinam among the Jews, nothing else. So at least if we could attempt, especially now, during the Asadis Yemei Tshuva, this is the time for Tshuva, we have a lot of things to do Tshuva for, we have a lot of things to perfect, but let's go right to the top. Let's perfect the one item which is so vital that it will, it will affect not only ourselves, the whole Klai Yisrael, 
we can bring Mashiach, we can bring the Gula if we unite amongst ourselves and drop petty jealousies, petty dislikes, have more consideration one for another. As we mentioned Shabbos, first item is to let all bygones, all past be forgotten. Anything that we might have suffered from one another, any insults intended or otherwise, the other type of items we resent in one another, let's forget them and truly forgive. We forgive, and Hashem will certainly forgive us too. Secondly, speaking about the division of the 12 tribes, was one more item that is especially important now. The item about, speaking of sinas chinam, this means to slander, lashon hara. Lashon hara means to speak badly about another person, though it is the truth. In fact, lashon hara means only truth. Speak lashon hara about a Jew, speak about his faults, to reveal wrongs that he committed, though they are true, is worse than murder, is worse than idol worship, is worse than adultery. That's how bad Lashon Hara or slander is, and the opposite of that is Shemidas Halashon, to guard one's tongue. Here the Gemara says that Hashem created a person with a tongue that could prove evil, but could also prove good. Tongue is made, speech is made, be able to speak words of Teda, be able to beseech, to implore Hashem for assistance physically, spiritually, daven, and to speak good words, musa, strengthen within others a faith in Hashem, mitzvahs of Hashem. It's up to a person to have this shmidas halashim, to guard his tongue against speaking evil, and to speak only good. Uh, if a person feels the urge to speak bad coming down, he just has to close the two gates that Hashem created for the tongue. The Gemara says Hashem created a gate of solid bone and a gate of flesh, hard and soft gates. Bone are the teeth, clench your teeth. You can still get sounds out, close your lips, you have these two gates, and no further evil talk can come out of your mouth, through your tongue. Despite this, the Gemara says, despite the two gates that Hashem created against the tongue, the tongue still gets out and does its harm. Medrash gives a marshal of a man who once went to sleep and heard his dream, semi-heard, dreamt of it, or it's a marshal, rabbi of men who heard his, the organs of his body arguing amongst themselves. Each one claimed that it was the most important organ of the entire organism. The eyes said they were the most important because the eyes are the windows of the soul, the eyes are the guide, the eyes select that which is proper, that which is not. Of course, it is the most important one of the five senses, so the eyes claimed that to them belongs the rightful title of king of the body. The ears argued on their behalf, not for the ears hearing things the eyes could not really learn, could not understand, and so forth. The 
feet claimed they were the most important because a person would be like in a prison if he did not have a means of mobility through the feet. All movement is dependent upon the feet. The hands claimed that they were the most creative. And, of course, the brain maintained that everything was dependent upon these messages sent through the brain. Finally, the tongue came out and said, all of you are wrong. I am the king, and I demand that you show me the proper respect. Letters says all the organs laughed at the tongue and said, you are the least important. Go back to your lair, your den, go back to sleep. We refuse to even discuss this with you. Tongue said, well, if you refuse to discuss it, then I'll have to prove my superiority. At that time, the governor was going past, the king or the governor, the tongue called out a very insulting remark. The king heard this, he ordered his soldiers to have this man arrested. The man was thrown into a dungeon, and all the organs turned to the tongue and said, what did you do to us? You were insane. Look at what trouble you got us in. The tongue said, well, I wanted to show you that. Look what I could do. I can get you into real hot water. Now, you know that in a short time, you're going to be taken out. The king is going to have you put to death. So every one of the orgas now is going to die. Who accomplished this great feat? Me, the tongue, the king. Now, you bow to me. You accept my leadership, my reign over you, because I'm the only one that can save you. I'm the only one that can apologize before the king. That could explain my action. That could ease the situation and show that the words I said were really complimentary rather than an insult to the king. Of course, the organs were forced to acknowledge this, and they were saved by the tongue's explanation. We won't go into that detail, but about this, the letter says, King Solomon said this sentence, Life and death are within the power of the tongue person can live or die through the tongue. Live by speaking the proper words, learning Taita, which is the tree of life, or die by saying things which could cause his death, through the sins that come from Moshonhara, or Nivopeh, profanity, or Achilles, or Devarim Betalem, which means even if it is not slander, just plain idle talk, at a time when he should be davening or learning, this too is fatal. So, the key to purity is the Shemitah Salashim. Well, there are some people, very, very few, who have perfection in Shemitah Salashim. There are stories told in past generations about people who were pure. The Chavetz Chaim Zal especially wrote a whole safer called Shemitah Salashim. That was more within our time. What is very important for us, those who were zechot to be in Eretz Yisrael this year, the past years, were zechot to see with their eyes one person alive today who really is the true example of Shemitah Salashim, guarding the tongue. Is that simple? It is not. Because you take the most awesome day of the year. To us, the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the day in which man was created, the day in which Adam was created, the day in which every person goes on trial, is the holiest, the high holiest day of the year, even more so than Yom Kippur. On this day, Abedazal had a custom that, above all, there was Shemitah Saloshim. 
This day the Benes are fasted from speech. It's called Tainus Dibur. He did not speak at all during the first day of Rosh Hashanah, other than, of course, the Tfilis prayers said then, or the Shear in Tainus, which he gave on that day. Aside from that, no speech whatsoever. He did not speak at all. It has become a custom among many of the Benazal students to this day. Many of them have adopted this custom. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, they refrain from speaking as much as possible or, if possible, completely, aside from davening and learning. For those who have accepted this custom have felt, many times, very deeply frustrated because it's very difficult when you're spoken to and you cannot reply and you just can't wait for the opportunity to have this day end when you can finally express yourself and finally let loose some of this pent-up emotion, especially if somebody said the wrong thing to you, you want to tear into him and it's only with the tongue you can do that. It's like being, to give it a very fair comparison, it's like being in a foreign country and someone you try to communicate with someone, they don't understand your language and you barely go wild trying to get your point across and you fail to. That's how it is with one who is unable to speak. Now I saw this myself, interestingly, before the Shoshana, the week before, I was on a plane with all Rashaim, in English you call it Russians, Rashaim, all Russians, and I had a seat, a good seat there, and then one Russian came to me, pointed and said, in sign language, it's his seat. And I was surprised because, usually, Russians don't mince words. They come out very strongly, they scream in Russian, or that nutty language, they, keep, they yell at you until they win out. Here this Russian didn't say a word, he just pointed, made sign language. I realized that this poor Russian, we call him that, was dumb. He couldn't speak. So, it was very simple for me, pretending that I was a Russian, but I couldn't understand his sign language. So I retained my seat. And there was a sign, true display of frustration on his part. The way I retained the seat, it makes no difference. It wasn't an evil act on my part, because for various reasons I was supposed to have the seat. Anyhow, we won't go into the details of the trip. But the point was that I saw there, I pitied a case like that where a person who cannot express himself is left as fit to be to explode, and he is completely helpless. This is the difficulty of Tainus Dibor. You can't speak, and you must get a message across. There's no greater disappointment or no greater nervous reaction than that. Imagine then, true perfection in Shemitah Salashim. As we said, there is one person in Eretz Yisrael today, one of the official students, Talidim of Hakim of Amekach of Lezal. His name is Nachman, and he is known as Nachman Shosek. Shosek means the silent Nachman. This silent Nachman has a voice that is as powerful as a lion's roar. If you hear him daven, it's about feel as a chazan, the walls tremble. And yet, this Nachman Shosek, the silent Nachman, never speaks. Never speaks. Now, I've known him for approximately uh, 30 years, close to 30 years a little less than 30 years. At the time that I first met him, he was on this Titus Dibur, this fasting of speaking, for close to 20 years at that time. 
which means that it is already nearly 50 years since he has spoken a word. 50 years of Tainas Dibur, one who is not dumb, one who has a strong, melodious voice, one who knows how to express himself, and one who contains himself, who is the case of abstention, forced abstention, for the sake of going through life without saying anything wrong. For he knows that he will never be guilty of Lashon Hara, of any kind, or any kind of wrong talk. This is a case, a sample of perfection, that we have in our time. In other words, it is possible. There are people who have this tennis Dibur one day a year or so, or a couple of days a year, but ones who are that Nishmur, there are other people, of course, Tzadikim, who are very careful though they do speak, they're very careful what they say, they guard themselves against speaking Lashon Hara or anything wrong, but of course no person can be 100% careful unless he really has his tennis Dibur. So, if we cannot undertake to be like this of Nachman Shaisik, but of course I would say it's practically a hopeless thought, we shouldn't even attempt it. What we should attempt though is not to restrict ourselves from speech completely, to limit ourselves, to guard our tongue and to see that at least we do not emit wrong sounds. A wrong sound is anything bad about another Jew, anything bad about anything that is holy, anything that is valuable in the eyes of Hashem, which means a holy place, a holy person, or a holy item. To speak bad about a sefer, about a mechaber, anything sacred, is the worst type of Lashon Hara. To speak bad, as the Zayde Kodesh says, anybody who speaks bad about a Jew, that's Lashon Hara, that's murder. To speak bad about dirt, karka, earth, is the same Lashon Hara. To speak against the land of Israel, anyone who visits Eretisul and comes back with a bad report, that is Lashon Hara against the Shekhinah. It's the land of Hashem. Eretz is called the Shekhinah and is speaking against the prized possession of Hashem. The entire globe, Hashem selected this land, small portion, yet it is the most valuable of the entire globe. The rest of the universe pales away. In other words, all the other planets, plus this planet Earth, together, combined, cannot compare to one drop, one iota of Eretisro, which has ten levels of holiness. Eretisro first, then Yerushalayim, then the inner part of Yerushalayim, the base of Mikdash, and closer until we get to the Kodesh Kodesh and the Holy of Holies. All that is Kodesh and Kodesh Kodesh. So our next step is, if we want to really perfect ourselves, Achtos unity and Shemitah Saloshan to guard ourselves against any kind of evil talk. And this, as we will see, go back to the story, whatever time we have, so we can get the story begun, the story of the division of the 12 tribes, the tearing asunder of the one government under an individual king. There was David HaMelech, who ruled over the 12 tribes of Israel, in whose time there were a lot of problems, a lot of battles, a lot of bloodshed, followed by Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon the Wise, who ruled over the entire land of Israel, a time of complete peace. There were no wars during his time. There was peace among all Jews on earth, and even peace among the middle, the upper level, which means above the human level, the spiritual world, 
were also at peace with King Solomon till the final days of his reign when the problems began. As we know, the problem he had with the king of the Shadim, Ashmedai, who dethroned King Solomon for a period of time until he finally came back to his kingdom and he bemoaned, bewailed this in his writings of Kohelis. However, the real problem began later on when Yeruvam, Yeruvam ben Nevat, Yeruvam the son of Nevat, from the tribe of Ephraim, who was very wise, very clever, very learned, a very great tzaddik, was appointed by Shlomo HaMelech to rule over the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, being so wise. And then he was met one day, or he was appointed to rule over them, but he did criticize Shlomo HaMelech, which caused a dislike on the part of Shlomo HaMelech later on. He began to dislike Yeruvim ben He criticized him for closing up, narrowing the gap. You noticed in the old city, you have the wall around the city and you have openings, gates. Some are small gates, some are large ones. There's one large gate, a large opening, which enabled Jews in large numbers to pour through into the city for the holidays, to bring their carbonas and sacrifices. He closed one of these gates for personal reasons, and this, Yeruvim ben criticized bitterly, and because of this disrespectful attack, Shlomelech later on sought to kill Yeruvim. First, we note that there was a Navi prophet called Achia HaShileni. Shileni means from the city of Shilai, where the Mishkan was originally. Achia HaShileni was one of the greatest prophets of all time. He was the Rebbe of Eliyahu Hanavi. Zaydi Kodesh says we have no trace of Eliyahu's background, that is, as far as his parents are concerned, we don't know anything about his background, family background, and we're not permitted to even ask about this. We do know that his Rebbe was Achia Shileni. This Achia Shileni, we'll speak more about him later on because there's a whole story about the Mishim with relation to Achia Shileni. Achia Shileni met Yeruvim Benavot in the field one day. He was wearing a new garment. And Achia Shileni took off this garment, and tore it into twelve parts, and said to Yeruvim Benavot, I give you ten of these, and I leave one. One, of course, means two. One large one, which contains two parts to it. Meaning that I'm giving you, in the name of Hashem, I give you ten tribes of Israel. You will become the ruler over ten tribes of Israel, become the king. But I promised King David that at all times, Though he remain as king, he and his descendants, and therefore there must remain at least one tribe, the tribe of Yehuda, which will also include the smallest tribe of Benjamin. They'll be together, united as one, under the rulership of the family of King David. This will be yours, it could be yours, for generations. Not forever, of course. I tell you now that when Mashiach comes, the kingdom will revert back to the family of King David, because Mashiach, the son of King David, will then rule over all 12 tribes. But because Hashem prefers you now, because Hashem likes your attitude, your ways, therefore he offers you the 10 tribes of Israel as your new kingdom. Rabbi Manavot was happy to hear this. Of course, a little later on, 
King Solomon wanted to kill Yeruvim because of what he had said. Yeruvim was forced to flee to Egypt and wait there until the passing of Shlomo HaMalach. King Solomon passed away. Then he was able to return and he was acclaimed by the Jews as king of the ten tribes, as we'll see in a moment. First, we must point out that King Solomon passed away at the age of 52. Well, this seems like a very young age. We must note that he was 12 years old when he ascended to the throne. He became king at the age of 12. He reigned for a period of 40 years. 40 years is a full term as king. The age of 52, Zayd says that the true Malchus, the last of the ten Svitas Malchus, is always represented by Malchus Shlomo. Shlomo is also one of Hashem's names. The word Shlomo is Hasholim, Melech Shasholim Shalei. The kingdom of Hashem is called Malchus Shlomo. But the true Malchus is of the four combinations of Hashem's name. The last one is called Shem Bon, which is 52. This is the reason for King Solomon's passing at that age, which means this was the symbol of Malchus. Now, after his passing, his son, Rechavam ben Shlame, took over as king. He began to rule the Jews, but he was nowhere, nowhere near as wise as his father, Shlame, the wisest of all men. And so, the people approached Rechavam as Yeruvam Benavat came back from Egypt. He acted as their spokesman, and he said to Rechavam in the name of the Jews, we demand, we don't ask, we demand that you ease up on the taxes, because your father, King Solomon, has taxed us very heavily. We cannot bear these taxes, we demand, we want to have an easing up, lightening of these taxes. This claim, justified or otherwise, was still a claim. Let's remember that in the days of Shlomo HaMelech, there was a prosperity that was unsurpassed and unequaled in all the annals of history. It was a time when people were so wealthy that the metal, silver, was an unused item. No one cared for silver, it was discarded. There was so much gold then, silver was regarded as a useless metal. So if people had their homes filled with this wealth and they were forced to pay taxes, it is understood they still had a lot that remained for them to live in luxury. They should not have complained. But there is always that degree of greed. So they wanted to have that additional wealth by having these taxes cut. They came to Rechavon, demanding these taxes to be cut. The question was, what reply should be given to the Jews? Rechavon said to them, give me three days' time to, to study this item, this request, and I'll discuss it with my advisors. He came to the elders, there were two groups of advisors, the elders and the youth, as in all times. He came to the elders and they said to him, it is more important that you keep peace with the Jews or retain you as king 
rather than have run the risk of having them revolt, rebel against you. We advise you, therefore, to cut the taxes in accordance with their request and demand. It came to the youth, and the youth said, you've got to show you're tough. If they said they want taxes cut, show them that you are the leader, you are the king, increase the taxes. Foolishly, the Gemara says, Rechavon followed the advice of the youth, and his reply to the Jews, the spokesman was, Kotoni ovomi musne ovi. I'm going to show you that my little finger, my pinky, is wider, thicker than my father's waist, which means that you were given taxes by my father, King Solomon. That was nothing. I'll show you what taxes really means. This was a display of, of bravado, trying to show courage, trying to show strong, harsh leadership. And of course, this backfired immediately. The Jews got together, and they immediately crowned Yeravim Benavot as their king, the new king, over ten tribes. Yehuda and Yemen remained loyal to the family of King David, because that part of land contained the base of Mikdash, the Holy Temple. Now, the first thought on the part of Rechavon was to get together an army, mobilize the armies of Yehuda, which was the strongest tribe physically, and Benjamin, to go out and do battle against the other ten tribes. Mobilize an army of 180,000 soldiers, ready to go out to war, this would have been a perfect example of civil war. Why? Because ten tribes seceded from the Union. Ten tribes left this one unit, the Jews as a unit, and formed their own government, their own coalition. This was reason enough to go out to war to bring them back into the Union. However, the Navi came to to Rechavon Melech and told him don't attempt battle because if you do Hashem will not be with you know that this is not the act of the Jews this is because Hashem wants it so Hashem had threatened previously in the time of King David the time of Shlomo Melech there will be a division of the tribes of Israel it has come to pass now Accept it because there's nothing that can be done about it. Till the end of regular time, which means till Mashiach comes, the Jews will not be united again as 12 tribes. So, Rechavim dropped his plans of battle. He accepted this item, sadly, and Yeravon took over as king of the, the, tw the 10 tribes. However, he was afraid that he might lose the, this kingdom for one reason. When it comes to the holidays, it was the custom of all Jews to go up Aliyah, to go up to the base of Mikdash to bring the sacrifices. If they go up there, they'd be induced by the tribe of Yehuda Minyamin, the followers of Rechavim, to return to the rule of Rechavim, and Yeravim ben what would lose his kingdom. And so, he set up special idols, most important cities, the ten tribes, and 
proclaim to the Jews, if you want to offer sacrifices, you worship these idols. He misled them into following these idols, and therefore he was known as a chotei umachti, a sinner of the highest, the worst order. At this point, that Hashem himself turned to Yeravim with a plea for tshuva. Yeravim should do tshuva. We see how the word, the fact is true, that Atan Nisinyad Lapeshim. Hashem does not want a Russia, an evil person, to be destroyed. Hashem wants every Jew, the worst sinner, to come back. Hashem wants the life of a Jew and the goodness of a Jew to come to the surface. Especially before Yom Kippur. You must remember that point. That Hashem wants us back. No matter what we've done, all that is required of us is true tshuva. Hashem will accept us and take us back. We as individuals and collectively as a people. So if we are zechah, together now to do this tshuva shleimah, then we are certain that Hashem will take us back, return us to our righteous places, leaders, leading people on earth. We zechah to see the coming of Mashiach, the binyan beis hamikdash, and hey, amen, amen, amen.